Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. We have Dick Nichols come up for the scripture reading. You can open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. This morning's scripture reading will be from Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 22 through 6, uh, 4. Again, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For your husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and he is himself its, crea- its Savior. Now as a church submits to Christ, so also wives must submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as, a church, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as they do their own bodies. He, must, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying it as it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and you will, uh, that you may have a long, may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the fear and discipline and instruction of the Lord. Here ends the scripture of the day. Microphone works, doesn't it? Good morning, church. I'm Derek Shields, and uh, I'd like to welcome you to Grace Point Church on this beautiful Father's Day. I thank you for all coming because, you know what? It's a beautiful day outside, and this is the best time of the day. It's the best time to be out there doing something in the sun. But I'm going to do a presentation today on some of the travails of fatherhood that we find in the Bible. The verses that Dick just read for us, uh, I'll reference throughout, but uh, if you're gonna try to keep up with me with your Bible, good luck, because I'm gonna jump all over the place. And before I begin, I'd like to open with prayer. Lord, I thank you for this day and this opportunity to be of service to you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. And I ask that you would speak through me and that I would lift up your message to receptive ears. 
I ask this through Jesus' holy name. Amen. As I said, today I hope to impart some of the challenges all fathers, mothers, grandparents, teachers, pastors, and others face when raising our youth. While this presentation is primarily focused on fathers, I think that we can all find some wisdom from the passages and scriptures that I'll share. I found it a bit interesting that the Bible shares a number of stories or narratives about fathers that struggled, yet are seen as being great role models, often for other reasons. And the first set of challenges we see faced by fathers are right there at the beginning in the book of Genesis. In fact, if you were to look in verse 216, it's the first quoted conversation between God, Adam, and Eve. And he starts with the word, don't. Don't what? Don't eat the forbidden fruit, God said. Forbidden fruit? We have forbidden fruit? Hey, Eve, we have forbidden fruit. No way. <laughs> yes way. Do not eat the fruit, God said. Why? Because I'm your father and I said so, God replied, wondering why he hadn't stopped creation shortly after making the elephants. A few minutes later, God saw the kids taking an apple break, and he got ticked. Didn't I tell you not to eat the fruit? Uh-huh. Then why did you? I don't know. Well, she started it. No, I did not. Did too. Did not. Having had it with the two of them, God's punishment was that Adam and Eve should have kids. <laughs> Thus, the pattern was established, and it's never changed. But there is reassurance in this story. If you have persistently and lovingly tried to impart wisdom on your children, and they haven't taken it, don't be too hard on yourself. If God had trouble raising his kids, what makes you think that it would be so easy for you? Kenzie and Daniel, thank you so much. You did great. All right, that was the fun part. Now we're going to get a little more serious. I want to bring your attention to some famous fathers, or infamous fathers, if you will, that are found in the Bible, who, while being remembered for their other achievements, struggled and sometimes horribly failed at fatherhood. Adam had Cain and Abel, and we know what happened there. Abel honored the Lord by offering the best of his firstborn lambs, and Cain offered some of his crops. Cain became angry and jealous that Abel and his gifts were accepted by God, while his were not. The first murder of the Bible was recorded shortly afterwards. Yet God used Adam and Eve to start the whole of human life on earth. That's what we remember them for. Noah. We learn in Genesis 6-9, he was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time. And he walked in close fellowship with God. God entrusted the entire future of mankind to Noah, his wife, his four sons, and his stepdaughters, or daughter-in-laws. He was certainly a great shipbuilder, pretty good captain, I would guess. But, you know, when he got on dry land, what did he do? He built himself a vineyard, got drunk, got naked, got seen, got gossiped about, got angry. What did he end up doing? He cursed the youngest son of his youngest son, 
Not really a good role model. But he was remembered for being a good shipbuilder, right? For bringing us all forward. By the way, I, I want to bring this to your attention. If you hadn't already figured this out, there is no multiple races. There's only one race. If you think about it, Adam and Eve started it all off. And then we got to where everything was destroyed in the global flood. Noah took everybody on his ship, and only they survived. Those 10 people produced everybody else that's on earth. So what ended up happening with their kids? Well, they were told and blessed by God to spread throughout the earth and to populate it. But they didn't. They disobeyed. They decided to hang around in the same community, and they decided to build this tower. We've heard about it, the Tower of Babel. God said, that's not what I said to do. So he gave them different languages, and he sent them off in different directions. And that's where we come up with different cultures. Abram, in Genesis 12, to whom God had promised the ownership of a great land and who would become a great nation, whom God said he would bless and make famous and through all families on earth would bless them. He was a compulsive liar. Twice we're told that he was asked, who is this? And he turned to his wife and said, um, this is my sister. Well, that didn't go over. But God is a God of promises and covenants. When he makes a covenant, he stands by it for eternity. Later on, he affirmed, reaffirmed that covenant. And he renamed Abram and his wife. They became Abraham and Sarah. And they had a child that we're told about is the progeny that then brings forth every generation that brings us eventually to Christ you and myself. This is Jacob. Jacob wasn't perfect in his own right. He did the same thing his dad did when he was asked who Rebekah was. Oh, this is my sister. So again, we've got fathers here that just didn't quite hit the highest standard, wouldn't you agree? There's a reason why I'm sharing these with you. Even David a man with God's own heart, as we're told in 1 Samuel 13, 14 and Acts 13, 22. He killed Goliath. He became king of Israel. He wrote so many of the Psalms that we find inspirational. He committed a lot of sins. He did a lot of things no father ever should do. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. Had her husband killed in battle try to cover up an illegitimate pregnancy. He tolerated the rape of his niece, Tamar, the killing of his son, Amnon. And he also had a rebellion with another son, Absalom. We hear about him quite a bit in the Bible. He was the most handsome man in the Bible at that time. These are just a few issues that David had. Yet God established a covenant with David. We call it the Davidic covenant, through which he promised David and Israel that the Messiah would come from the lineage of David and the tribe of Judah, and that this kingdom would be established and would endure forever. God is a God of his word, and it lasts forever. 
Why does he give us so many bad examples of parenting and fatherhood? Well, I would argue that we are to learn from the mistakes and poor choices made by others. We should use these examples to correct those areas in our own lives where they will not benefit the youth that we're trying to raise. Also to give us hope and assurance that God knows that we're weak and prone to failure, just as so many men in the Bible have done. It's through our weakness that God shows his strength. And in spite of our failures, God is able to raise up a holy generation. Through our faith and acceptance of Christ, we are able to demonstrate the truth that the gospel is here, relevant, and truthful for every generation to see. The Bible is our teacher and our inspiration to build positive relationships with God first, with our wife, and with our children, and with the rest of the world as well. As husbands and fathers, we should take time every single day to refresh our memories and to gain additional knowledge using the Bible as our owner's manual, because that's what it is. And we should also participate with other godly people to explore how to be better husbands and to raise up our children to be holy and righteous. After all, guys, iron sharpens iron. Now, I know I just referred to the Bible as our owner's manual. We're told in 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17 that all, Scott, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for all good works. Surely the good works must certainly include being a good husband and good father. So let's see what God has told us in the owner's manual about how to do this. God started off talking directly with his children. We need to do the same. He provided for every need they had. After the fall, he entered into covenants that bound him for eternity. We refuse to obey. We, have, we refuse to be bound. But God is bound. He ensured that his chosen people would survive all the evil that this world would throw at them. He provided a list of commandments. All we needed to do to remain in his good graces was to follow those ten. And then there are more and more. And because we kept failing more and more, and I think that the Jewish people came up with, what was it, 366 or something like that? Yeah. Finally, as we know, God sent his son, Christ Jesus, to atone for our sins, to be the perfect sacrifice, so that we could be reconciled to him. That's a summary version of what God's love is for us. But there's more that we need to understand. First, a couple of basics about fear, about being a husband and marriage. And we'll see what God has told us about raising kids. Fear is probably the reason most of us fail in whatever we want to achieve. But fear doesn't come from God. Fear is a tool used by Satan to hold us back and keep us from pursuing God's will. We need to overcome this obstacle. And God knew it was there. He told us not fewer than 365 times in the Bible not to be afraid, not to show fear. If God has told us that that many times, I think we ought to take it seriously, don't you? 
You know that God has plans for us. And we need to fulfill those. And that includes being good fathers and husbands. And now, if you think that it's impossible, I want to point you to Philippians 4.13. It's a verse that I've taken to heart many times in my long life. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a passage that we can lean on, and it's truth. We can overcome fear. We can overcome the obstacles that Satan puts before us. Going back to the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis, we find much wisdom. And I think we can use this in our spiritual walk. If you look at Genesis 2.18, it identifies very clearly that we, as men, are incomplete. We need someone to help us to become who God intends us to be. And this is woman, who when joined in marriage to us, becomes part of us, and we become a whole. The word helper or helpmate is used in this passage. In most of the versions, you'll find either helper or helpmate. But I don't want you to misunderstand what that word means. Because the way we use it in common language now, if I'm the boss, you're my helper, but I'm in charge. That's not the way it was used in Genesis. The only other time that Moses used that word was in describing the relationship between God being the helper of Israel. He wasn't second best. I know that for a fact. Our wives are not second best. There are equals in different ways. And thank God for that. I also want to point out that in the passage today, it says, wives obey your husbands, or something to that effect. That does not mean that our wives are to be subjugated. Men, we need to raise up our wives. We have New Testament obligations to our wives. And if you look at uh, Ephesians 5.25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's our privilege to show love for Jesus by caring for our wife, to love her, show her honor, try to understand her wants, needs, and fears, and to give up our lives and rights for her. That's also echoed in John 14, 21, and 1 Peter 3, 7. Dr. Lonnie Berger gives us something to consider in his definition of a godly husband. If you love your wife and give up your life for her, if you show her honor and kindness on a regular basis, if you learn to value her as a gift from God to give you balance and perspective, if you do not resent her differences or be harsh with her as she struggles in her own woundedness, if you give her grace as she wrestles to follow your leadership, then you are a man of God, a model to be imitated and a shining light in a dark world. Your wife and children will honor you. Giving up your life, while certainly referring to dying a physical death, can mean so much more. It can also be understood to be putting our wife's needs and desires and helping her to achieve what God has intended for her before our own wants as well. Here's a couple of verses that Lonnie is throwing at us in a Bible study called Every Man a Warrior. A number of the guys in this room have been through this study. It was very popular about five or six years ago, and I would encourage us to look at it again as another group study. 
has a lot of good stuff in it, guys. First of the three biblical verses or principles for raising children that he shares. It is the father's God-given responsibility to train his children. That's in Ephesians 6.4, one of the verses that Dick read for us. Children get their self-image from what they believe dad thinks about them. That can be found in Proverbs 17.6. The word spoken to a child will determine his or her destiny. That's found in Proverbs 18.21. And here's some good advice that goes along with those verses. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Instead, bring them up in training and discipline and instruction in the Lord. Again, that's in 6.4, Ephesians. And the glory of children are their fathers. Proverbs 17.6. The tongue has the power of life and death. That's Proverbs 6.4. And we need to consider that youth lacks our experience, guys. They don't know what we've been through. They don't have our understanding of the world. But we need to choose our words with care so that as we raise them in a disciplined manner, we do not create barriers and resentment. Remember, children get their self-image from what they believe dad thinks about them. We need to be discerning in the messages we're giving to our children. After all, don't we all have memories of things our dads have said to us, whether kind or cruel, that have shaped what we believe about ourselves and how we interact with others. Dads have got quite an impact on us. There's a challenge put forward in Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4, and it reads, It takes wisdom to have a good family, and it takes understanding to make it strong. It takes knowledge to fill a home with rare and beautiful treasures such as our children should be to us. Read the Bible. Spend time building your relationships with your wife and children so that you can be a light in this world of darkness. Fathers, I know that the time I've spent so far probably seems like I'm picking on you. Not my intention. Instead, I want to encourage you. I want you to recognize that not one of us is perfect. Yet our children will survive. We will fail, just as so many Bibles have in the Bible, in following God's teachings. We're not expected to be all-knowing and always having the right word to say at the right time. It just isn't going to happen. What we are challenged to do, however, is to grow in our understanding of biblical teachings and to share these with our children and wives. Don't depend on others to shoulder our responsibilities. Ask for directions from our pastors, our learned elders, and those in our study groups. But most especially, read the owner's manual and get together with other men who are willing to share your burdens along this path. I strongly encourage you to go through the Everyman a Warrior study. There are three books. It takes three months or longer to get through. But I'll tell you what, it's the best study I've been through in a long time with a bunch of the guys in this room. Absolutely. We had one guy who wasn't even married. He was a kid, but he offered some great wisdom. Appreciated him every day. By attending and participating in one of these studies with four to six other guys, you'll find the support and wisdom 
that are sure to strengthen your relationships in your home and prepare your children for the struggles you've already faced. Now, there's a couple other fathers I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about that are in the Bible. So I'll spend a couple moments on them. There's Satan. Satan's the murderer from the beginning and in whom there is, there is no truth. He is a liar and a father of lies. We find that in John 8, 44. He's our adversary and he prowls like a roaring lion and he's seeking for someone to devour. We see that in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 11. Satan, by his very nature, wants to take our children from God and from us and wants to claim them for himself. And the truth is, if we don't lead our children to God through Christ, Satan will possess them for eternity. And God, God, our great Father, who has reigned from the beginning of time, who has known us before we were even formed in our mother's womb, our Father in heaven, who has plans for good and not for disaster, to give us a future and a hope. We read about that in Jeremiah 29, 11. He loves us and provides for our needs. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God. We read about that in Romans 5, 8 through 11. We did not and do not deserve God's gift of grace, but he made a covenant that he has and will honor for all time to come. What a great father we have in God. And I'll be honest right now, um, I'm going to change gears a little bit, and I've struggled with this. I didn't intend to come up here today to actually talk about this next section but sometimes you just got to do what the Spirit leads you to do, whether you want to or not. So here goes. We need to spend a couple minutes talking about current issues, talking about shootings, mental health, and morals. This is absolutely not a political position I'm going to share, not. What it is, however, is a summation of a couple facts. The facts are that we're being told of an ever-increasing number of people being killed by individuals. Just the past few weeks, we've been told about several. I'm sure there'll be more to come. Just a couple days ago at a Presbyterian church, three people lost their lives. The positions on what to do don't need any further airtime from me. But I will point out that I've spent my entire professional career in social work. I've worked with the elderly. I've worked with individuals with disabilities or abilities. I've worked with people with addiction issues. And I will tell you that a lot of the people that are right now pushing for, you know, a, you know emphasis on mental health were the same ones that fought to cut the funding over the last 30 years. It's interesting how things go around. But I got to tell you, Mental health isn't the problem that some people would like us to believe it is. There's a bigger issue, and it's sin, okay? Are mental health issues sin issues? They can be. We've seen that in the Bible. 
We've seen where Jesus told people, your sins are forgiven, and they were healed from their afflictions. The difference between what we write, read in the Bible and what we're facing today is Jesus did more than blame. Got to tell you, blaming never healed a sick person. It never raised up someone who's anxious and depressed. Nor does it offer any possible solutions. It just gives us someone or something to be angry at or afraid of. We've already talked about fear. And the way to address this fear and anger is to educate one another. Be tolerant of the differences that we don't understand. Fathers, I challenge you. I want you to think about this. Do you promote tolerance, acceptance, and understanding in your children? Have you been willing to take a stand and teach the youth you love that the Bible is truth and that we're all of one race? That we do not need to fear someone because they look differently, have different abilities or disabilities, as some would say, or because they were raised in a different culture? Have we talked about modesty? Have we talked about saving being sexual for marriage? What about the sanctity of marriage and that human life begins at conception? All of these are biblical truths and not political positions. I don't care if you're liberal or, de uh, or conservative. These are truths, and I can find them for you in the Bible. Sin is rampant in our culture, and it can't be separated from the murders that are being committed today. We know the solution to sin, and this is to learn what God has told us about his plan for us. And what the greatest commandment is, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and all of your mind. And to love your neighbor as yourself. We find that in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. All we have to do, and this is what God said at the very beginning in Genesis, is to obey and follow his plan for us. To trust and love him as he loves us. I know I've hit upon some hot-button topics. I've probably gotten some people upset, and I'm not intending to be a lecturer, just to tell you what I've learned. I want to encourage you. I'm a father. I've been a scout leader. I've worked with the elderly, people with disabilities, people with substance abuse addictions. I've made a lot of bad decisions along the way. The men who've walked with me through several Bible studies know that I'm not shy, and I'll talk about my failures. My heart today is led by the Holy Spirit. I want to speak plainly to the truths that are in the Bible. There are underlying issues to the, the cause of these senseless deaths but it's a lack of morals, lack of ethics. It's the sinful nature of man that does it. It leads us to a poor understanding of the worth of human life and a belief that these horrible acts can be blamed on anything but the fact that we, myself first and foremost, have not done enough with our youth to have them seek God and understand the owner's manual he has given to us. I've got a friend some of you would doubt that, but I actually do. 
I've got a friend who speaks in a little different manner than I do. And he told me that he has a philosophy that it goes back to when we gave up having a drug problem. I said, what do you mean, gave up having a drug problem? He says, yes, when I was a kid, I got drugged to church every Sunday morning. I got drugged every Sunday night. I got drugged in on Wednesday night. I got drugged to Bible studies, youth groups, and I got drugged into the front room. And my dad sat down with me and read to me from the good book. He said, we need to have that kind of a drug problem today, too. Kind of hard to argue with that logic sometimes. Oh yeah, remember that little funny at the beginning of today's lesson? Well, there's a little bit more to go with that. You know, I was very appreciative of Daniel and Kenzie volunteering to, to help me with it. I think they did a great job. But here's two more things I want you to take from that. Children seldom misquote you. In fact, they usually repeat word for word exactly what you said but shouldn't have. And the advice that I would give every father here comes right from Ephesians 6.4. It says, be nice to your kids. They're going to choose your nursing home someday. Now, allow me to close in prayer. May God bless you and keep you. Make his face smile upon you. May we all be open to growing in our understanding of his teachings and our responsibilities to be loving, caring, and kind. I ask that the Lord would strengthen our resolve to improve our relationships so that as husbands, fathers, parents, teachers, pastors, and other role models, that we would bring up a generation of youth with sound teachings and who will one day do the same with their children and grandchildren. Amen. Have a wonderful day especially guys, you know, have fun with it today. Um, if anybody has any questions about the Every Man a Warrior Bible study, there's a lot of elders that have uh, been through it. I'm sure they could answer questions, and I've got some materials I could share as well. Just catch up with me after the praise team is done. Thank you.